Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Plato's dialogue, The Ion, is important for aesthetics because it has to do with poetry. One of the main characters, Ion, is a rhapsode, that is an interpreter of, of poetry, who specializes in Homer. And so we're, we're looking at the nature of poetry, the nature of interpretation, what it is that goes on in the response of the audience. And, and I've got another core concept video specifically about that, about the metaphor of the rings and enthusiasm. But the dialogue is also just as much about knowledge and who can claim to have knowledge. In it, Socrates ends up confounding Ion, really, in, in some ways, unfairly, because he's going to say some things which seem on their face quite plausible, but if we accept them entirely, and I, I'm going to say we don't actually have good reason to accept them entirely, and I think Socrates himself and Plato know this, then they're going to lead us to certain aporias or impasses when it comes to thinking about the sort of questions that are coming up. Now, one of the key issues that gets discussed in here is this notion of speaking well or speaking poorly. And, and what role is that playing in the dialogue? What does it have to do with knowledge? You notice I've got this diagram up here. And over and over again in the dialogue, you're going to see Socrates saying things, using examples that really sketch out something like this. He's going to do this with all sorts of arts and skills and sciences. And the question that he's really concerned with is, is poetry or its interpretation a body of knowledge? Why is this important? Well, the ancient Greeks actually did look to Homer and Archilochus and Hesiod and, and the dramatic playwrights for providing them with certain kinds of knowledge. Now, does that mean that they would take everything from Homer when it came to chariot racing and Homer was the last word on it and they would never, you know, think of anything else on their own? No, but they thought that Homer is writing about chariot racing, and Homer can actually tell us something competent from the standpoint of somebody who does possess skill or art or knowledge. They think of the poets, like Homer, for example, as being kind of polymaths. They, they know a lot of different fields, and that makes them an expert. So somebody who has a skill or an art or a science, a techne or an episteme in, in Greek thought, has knowledge, they have disciplinary knowledge, that makes them an expert, and that allows them to speak on the subject matter that art or science bears on. So for example, if we take medicine, you know, one of the examples that Socrates likes to use quite often, there is a discipline of medicine, and it bears on the body and its health and the humors and, you know, the elements and things like that. Somebody who's become an expert possesses the knowledge that's needed in order to produce health. Each subject matter has its own end, its own good state that it can be in. And so if you ask a doctor about something, they're able to speak well about it. They're able to speak, we might say, instead of speaking well, they're able to speak competently. They're able to give you good advice about things. 
And since you're not a doctor, you may not actually be able to understand or even fathom the knowledge that they have. You just say, well, okay, you know, I'm supposed to take these pills. I'll take these pills. You want me to lose weight? I don't see why I should, but, you know, you're the doctor, so I guess I'll do that. You want me to quit smoking? All right, I'll quit smoking. It's the same thing for, for other things. The carpenter has knowledge that the non-carpenter doesn't have. And, and if they take the time, they can explain a lot of it, but there will be some parts of it where, unless you're actually trained in the discipline, it's probably not worth their time to do that. So they're able to speak well about it, and you do well to follow somebody who speaks well, provided that they're not trying to mislead you or anything like that. Here's where it gets more complicated. Socrates also says... It's the same person who can tell who else is speaking well and can tell who else speaks poorly. Here's where it gets tricky in the dialogue. So presumably another doctor can tell if that doctor over there is, is BSing you because he's trying to you know, get an extra fee or he's your enemy and he wants you to drink poison or something like that. He can tell whether that other doctor is actually telling you the, the straight line or, or something crooked whether he's speaking well or speaking poorly. The doctor can also tell if Joe Blow off the street comes in and says, hey, I, I think my, this is my diagnosis of your ill health and here's what you ought to do. Try this herb or do jumping jacks for 10 hours a day. That doctor, because he possesses medical knowledge, he can say that person's speaking poorly. They don't know what they're talking about. So this makes good sense for anything that involves disciplinary knowledge. I mean, carpenters may disagree about exactly how a certain problem ought to be solved, but they agree on certain basic principles that are dictated in you know, large part by the material that they're working with. When we get to other areas, it's a little less clear, you know, statesmanship, law, aesthetics, even cooking to a certain degree, when we're looking at the aesthetic side and not just the scientific side of it. But in general, you know, a chef can tell if another chef is full of BS or not, or, you know, just somebody essentially pretending to be a chef. It gets a little tricky when we get to other disciplines, like if we're thinking about poets. Can a poet tell whether another poet is speaking well or speaking poorly. Well, this gets to the question of what, what are poets actually talking about, and we're going to look at that in another section. Now, one of the other things that Socrates says that's particularly important to pay close attention to is he says there's this assumption, subject matters are distinct. And what that means is that the skills or arts or sciences and the bodies of knowledge that experts have are likewise distinct. They don't overlap. They, they don't stray into each other's territory. So when the poet is, for example, discussing chariot racing, who would be the person that you would go to to find out whether the poet is actually speaking well about that or speaking poorly? If we want to put this in our own realm of experience, think, for example, of all the tropes that they use in Hollywood that if you know anything about the subject matter, you say, that's, that's completely wrong. You know, when they do space movies, for example, explosions in space, you, you can't actually hear them. And all the science people point out, yeah, you know, not only in space can no one hear you scream, all the aliens. In space, nobody can hear you on fire. Nobody can hear you shooting things. Nobody can hear you doing anything because there's no air to convey sound. Myself, I was a combat engineer in the Army, so I got to see a lot of explosions, including explosions with that, that you know, most favorite of filmmakers, explosives to reference C4. Right, And what you find out is that there's not a lot of flames to explosions, also with grenades. 
there's a lot of stuff going around. There's some smoke, but there's not a lot of fire. You don't have a huge fireball. You know, I always laugh when I watch these movies where something is happening and it's, it's this tiny little bit of C4 and somehow it blows up an entire building. That's because I actually know about it. Now, did the script writers know about it? Did the director know about it? In this parlance, we would say that they were actually speaking poorly. Even though they were telling an entertaining story, they were speaking poorly. We might say the same thing about what about psychological thrillers? You know, is it the audience who should decide whether the, the, you know, the script writers are speaking well when it comes to primal fear? Or would it be practicing psychologists? This is why they often bring in experts to help out with movies. And we might say the same thing about all sorts of other types of artistic production, novels, um, songs, whatever you like. So the question then is, going back to Homer, if Homer is actually speaking well about chariot racing, it's not because of him being a poet. It's because he actually knew something about chariot racing. And then he's only speaking qua chariot racer, not qua poet. But Homer talks about all these different things. And who would decide, you know, if he's actually speaking well about numbers? A mathematician. Who decides if he's speaking well about cuisine? A cook. Who decides if he's speaking well about medical knowledge? A medical person. So Socrates is going to use this as a wedge to try to say that the poets really don't know much about anything. Where we ought to be really worried is here. So this, this person who can tell when somebody else is speaking well or speaking poorly are they somebody who's in the discipline, or is it possible for us to generalize, as Socrates himself is doing, about this notion of speaking well or speaking poorly? How do we actually know that it's only somebody who possesses that knowledge who can tell whether somebody else is speaking well or speaking poorly, unless we ourselves possess that knowledge, in which case we have to know about all the different subject matters and that's clearly not the case. So there's kind of a strange instability of ideas if you actually look closely at this dialogue. But here's, here's the basic idea behind this speaking well. The person who speaks well does so because they, they possess knowledge. They are able to speak competently about some subject matter. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.